Alexa, what time is it? The time is 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sansbury. So here we are, Ian, back after, well, quite an, ex- an extended summer break. It's our autumn, winter season of 2021. It is, and, and it kind of, uh, is it me, or does it just feel like we blinked and summer was gone? Uh, kind of. I guess these things kind of slip in through, you know, one lockdown. Feels like another lockdown, doesn't it? Oh, but we haven't had any more just yet. Thanks. No, and I think that's the... I guess there's that sort of strange feeling about, you know, kind of everyone was particularly looking forward to the summer and July, the whatever it was, unlocking day or freedom day or whatever you want to. And so I, I kind of, you know, it has been slightly surreal being out and about. I, I was back traveling for work and crossing London during rush hour and there being nobody there. It was very, very surreal. So um, it has that sort of slightly odd feel about it. But then all of a sudden it was September. Yeah, it was indeed. And I'm not going to sing that it was the 1st of September. Um, I'll always remember. Yeah, indeed. So uh, what we got lined up today then, Ian? Oh, it's a big one today. We've um, obviously, uh, again, just covering, there's been a fair amount of, um, of fairly sizable political arrangements that have happened whilst we've been away. So obviously there was the tragic fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban much faster than expected. Um, the the, the re- schools have returned um, or had started to return. You know, the COVID's being watched locally. Um, the Conservatives elected a, a new group leader. So Simon, I'm never sure whether it's Bosher or Bosher. Um, I understood it to be Bosher, but I'm sure he'll cor- I'm sure I'm sure they'll correct me if I'm if we're wrong. No worry. So, so yeah, Simon Bosher has taken over as Conservative Group Leader. So lots has changed, and we'll pick up some of those topics in future episodes. But obviously, the the big news this week is around the um, around how do we pay for social care and fund the NHS, adult social care, mm-hmm. um, which is a pretty big old topic, really. It is indeed. Um, and as much as we've probably got opinions about it, we thought this is such a um, such an interesting topic that we probably should get someone that knows what they're talking about on. Indeed, yes. So we've got... So well, we'll do the intros in a minute. Is Simon about or is he still... Uh, Simon is indeed in, in the waiting room. So, um, so should we... Shall we wheel him in? Yeah, so let's grab him on in. Good evening, Simon. Evening, Simon. A uh, good evening. Excellent. Good to have you on board, sir. Lovely. So, if we look at the um, the, the topic in hand, we'll just give it a, a bit of a frame because. You know, the funding of the NHS and adult social care is always a controversial topic. Um, it's in the, the media off and on. 
you know, often framed around statements like it's been woefully underfunded. Um, and this appears to be a narrative that's gone on for for at least years, if not decades. Um, and I guess the challenge is always if the money that it's getting now isn't enough, then how much is enough? And then the million billion dollar question is who should pay for it? And if you've got that answer, then to be fair, you've kind of fixed the country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then, well, I would say then we can all go home for tea, but um, we're all probably home already. So, um, so yeah, so as a, as a bigger kind of background, national insurance isn't, isn't what people think it is. It is, it's not an insurance policy. It's not a saving pot with your name on it, where your contribution goes towards your personal uh, pension or care needs. But when it was launched, it worked well because the number of people paying into it was greater than the number of people drawing down and with people living longer, with more complex needs and there being less people of working age and earning enough to pay in is is, is increasing national insurance contributions across the board by uh, 1.25 percentage points um, for both employees and employers while capping the additional contribution someone might need to pay from, uh, from their other assets. Um, is that... Is that the right way to allow our aging population to live out their final years in safety with dignity and respect? Yeah, and as Simon alluded to, we can have opinions on this, but we thought it would be much better to bring in an expert. So I'd like to introduce Simon Foster, who's head of economics at a local further education college and has been described by Harper Collins, one of the UK's leading personal social health care and um, and education authors on the topic. So, Simon, welcome to the podcast. If you Thank you very much you... for having me. Delighted to be here. Super. So could you uh, could you introduce yourself, give us a, a little bit of your background and, and why this topic particularly interests you? Okay. Uh, so as they're saying, my name's uh, Simon Foster, and I've taught at various colleges um, across Hampshire and just started a new job as an economics lecturer um, at, uh, yes, another college. Um, I taught economics for several years, and before that, I taught politics A-level for several years. So I'm going to deal with the economics, but sooner or later, we're going to get into the political as well. But you probably guess that, given the name of this podcast. Um, in addition to that, I used to be a councillor for um, Bournemouth Local Authority in the early 2000s for a couple of years. And um, whilst I was doing that, I was chair of the Caring for People scrutiny panel in Bournemouth. And that involved dealing with both social services and also three NHS trusts, Dorset Mental Health Care Trust, what was then Bournemouth Primary Health Care Trust, and also Royal Bournemouth Hospitals Foundation NHS Trust as well. So I'm not going to be claiming to be an amazing expert on the NHS, but I am going to say I do have a little bit more knowledge um, uh, than the average person in that area. And I'm fascinated by this whole debate as an economist. It's one of the things that I get my A-level students talking about. So I was quite happy to come onto here because when I was looking at the notes for this, I was also planning an A-level class at the same time. And we economists like to be nothing if but efficient, if nothing else. And that, that, that's excellent. Um, so, you know, th this is, uh, you know, as we said at the start, this has been a, it's been, it feels like it's kind of one of those, one of those topics where various governments and leaders have, have sort of taken the lid off, peaked in the pot, not like what they've seen and slammed the lid back on. So mm -hmm. I guess just to, to, to 
to to help us because I think one of the things Simon did and I noted when we were doing some of the research for this was the perceptions of people of what national insurance is or isn't um so it seems a bit vague in terms of mm-hmm. so could you just give us a kind of you know that that sort of tour of what is national insurance you know how okay. does it get used and and kind of what's the mm-hmm. background to it so the background to it, I mean, we go back about 110 years and the National Insurance Act of 1911 is passed by the um, uh, last majority Liberal government back then. And it sets up um, what feels like national insurance and says, look, there's going to be like this insurance safety net. And if you fall ill and you're not going to be work, uh, able to work again, you're going to be covered. And we're going to have a state pension and you're going to be covered like that. But looking at purely for an economic point of view with uh, my economic lecture hat on, this is a direct tax. It is a direct tax on income. Um, so direct taxes uh, are on income, whether they're income tax or um, uh, national um, insur- um, insurance, um, for example. Um, and in return, we get various things and a safety net from our government. But let's be very clear, um, whilst the, the idea might feel like the name says it's insurance, it's definitely a tax. And then later on, the Labour government comes along in 1948 at this great post-war reforming government and says, we're going to have a national health service. We need to make sure we um, pay for that. Um, and all sorts of other things, such as you know, insurance against unemployment, eventually retirement, pe- uh, pensions and other benefits. And so the breadth of national insurance um, is expanded then. But let's be very clear. Um, it's an ind- it, sorry, it's a direct tax. It's a tax upon your income. And so when people say, oh, my God, it's absolutely terrible. The British government is, you know, taking 45 percent of your income in national insurance. I like to remind them, no, actually, it's coming along for another 12 percent of your, your income. Um, sometimes uh, the lower band and definitely 2 percent of the higher band as well. And so um, the real marginal tax rates aren't 45 percent. Uh, they're definitely 47 um, and in some cases we can get up into the 50s as well depending on what level of income you're earning so it's a tax it's definitely a tax let's get that one clearly out of the way so you you touched on the rates there and and again this is another area where you know i, I think people now understand or lots of people understand income tax in broad terms. You pay nothing up to 12 and a half grand. You pay 20% on 12 and a half to 50. Mm-hmm. And then beyond 50, you pay the 40% all the way up to 150. And apart from the odd little paying it back thing at 100K, um, it tops out of 45%. How does mm-hmm. national insurance work? Well, let me um, describe income tax first, and then I can draw the comparison. Yep, perfect. Because what you've um, done there, Ian, is you've very nicely described all the different bands, and it's what we as economists would call a progressive tax. Yep. And the idea of progressive taxation is the more you earn, the more you're going to pay in tax, and therefore those with the broadest shoulders will contribute the most to society. So far, so good. Uh, but then you take a look at national insurance and um, you can go on the government.gov.uk uh, website and get confused by all the letters, which very unhelpfully are put on a different page from all the different tax bands. But the summary is something like this. You're not going to pay any national insurance for the first £9,600. Then you're going to pay 12% up to £50,000. And then you're going to pay 2%. So unlike income tax, where the rate is going up, 
With national insurance, the rate's going down. And so as economists, we call that a regressive tax. Regressive in the sense that the more that you earn, the less as a percentage of your overall income you're going to pay. So the mechanics of the two are really quite different. I'll jump in here, by the way, just to complete the set is there are proportional taxes out there where the rate of tax stay the, uh, stay the same for economists. And so a proportional tax would be you could have a tax of 20 percent and it doesn't matter what you earn. You're going to pay that. 20 so you've got income tax on the one hand, which we describe as progressive and national insurance, which we ought to describe as a tax is regressive. Now, I need to qualify that because some of you would have researched this and gone onto the news and gone, okay, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, who I've got a lot of time for, have described this as a progressive move. It's a progressive move in the sense that it's better to have a safety net for people um, uh, to uh, pay for their social care, and it's better to have a central government tax to pay for that. But again, let's be very clear. National insurance is a regressive tax Income tax is a progressive tax. Thank you. Well, that clears that one up. So um, hopefully you're not going to test us at the end. No, I'm not. Okay, that's no, good. You're not my students. <laughs> uh, my students, on the other hand, I would grill thoroughly. <laughs> okay. So so one of the one of the words that we also kind of hear to, banded about is a hypothecated tax. Yeah. Sounds a fancy word. What's that? Uh, hypothecated, this is really simple. It's a tax that's spent on a specific area. So with hypothecation, I used to hear a lot about this um, uh, from people like the Lib Dems back in the 2000s saying, we'll put a penny on education, on income tax, and we'll only spend it on education. And indeed, at the moment, they're saying, uh, we put a pe uh, the Lib Dems on income tax and spend that on the NHS, which I'm going to get to later, and I'm also going to explain why I think that's wrong later. Oh, okay. We could, I think I don't know if anybody else, but I kind of just lost your audio after why you okay. thought that was wrong. Um, but I guess you'll come into that in a in a minute. Oh, anyway. I'm going to come to that later. Okay. So, so I guess so. It seems like, as you said, from the you can't do much of the economics of it without getting into the into the politics of it. Absolutely. So, um, and as you say, that that's kind of our shtick, really. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, so Ian, you've done you've done a bit of looking at as to as to kind of what what the policies are of of the big three uh, of the big three parties. What are they? What are what are they saying? So it'd be quite interesting to kind of hear what that is, so that we can ask Simon for his views on what the pros and cons are of, of, e of, each, of, those, of each of those policies. Yeah, so it, if we look back, and, and again, it goes back to people looking to grasp the nettle on this. Um, and I guess probably we'd go back to the Conservative policy in the 2017 election. Now, their policy in broad terms basically said, if you've got the assets to pay for your own care, you'll pay for your own care. Um, and we won't necessarily charge the bill to you until you die and your estate is settled and there were no caps there were no limits so you know if you lived in a million pound house and your care costs came to just under a million pound or a million pounds then ultimately when your estate was settled you would end up with twenty three thousand pounds left and that was the sort of lower limit where they wouldn't go after you hugely unpopular dumped it before the election um, but by then the damage was potentially done and I would argue at that point pretty much you know the two main parties then 
kind of kicked it into the long grass and didn't want to talk about it. The, the Lib Dem policy, as uh, as Simon alluded to there, they still remain on their manifesto. There is a, a hypothecated tax, which is they're saying that they would add 1% to the lower rate of income tax that would be ring fenced for the NHS. Now, whether that's NHS and social care, we can kick about, but very transparent. You know, anybody earning over £12,500 who is a taxpayer would chip in that extra 1%. Now, the Conservatives obviously unveiled their approach this week, um, which is the 1.25% uh, increase in national insurance. Um, part of the areas that they touched on was the fact that this not only is a tax on the individual, but there is a tax on business. There are some details around limits. So again, your social care would be capped at £86,000. Um, again, looks like that's going to come for your estate. If you're mean, if you're got between 20,000 and 100,000 pounds, you'd be means tested. Um, and there is also a little bit in there, which um, perhaps we're going to need uh, Simon's help on, which is they're also applying this 1.25% to dividends paid on shares and on folks who act as company directors and pay themselves via dividend rather than salary. So the final piece, to be fair, is, um, you know, Sir Keir Starmer was very um, outspoken at PMQs that the this was the wrong way to do things. And there was much rumbling in the press Thursday, Friday, that, that he was going to unveil the Labour policy um, to a, a speech to local government on Saturday. That didn't happen or if it did happen nobody's reported on it so I can't believe that they have there have been hints um, such as that they would look at a wealth tax um, when Sakia spoke um, to the media on Thursday and Friday he hinted very strongly that he felt that private landlords should be shouldering some of this burden he mentioned that you know a, a landlord who's got three or four rental properties wouldn't pay a penny more in tax but the hard-working people renting would have to shoulder the burden so i think it would be fair to say that the labor position is very much angling towards wealth taxation um and one of their folks on the politics show today rather dodge the question i can't remember their name but basically said well you know we don't really have to firm this up until just before an election which was refreshingly honest um but perhaps not not what people want to hear um as an alternative so i, I that's the broad outline um is it worth us did we want to hear let's, got let's, some let's hear boris be more eloquent than me yeah so we let's 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 hear it from the horse's mouth as it were um, so we've got uh, basically two, two shortened clips of his, of his speech in the House of Commons the other day. As a permanent additional investment in health and social care, it would be irresponsible to meet the costs from higher borrowing and higher debt. For, from next April, we will create a new UK-wide 1.25% health and social care levy on earned income hypothecated in law to health and social care with dividend rates increasing by the same amount. This will raise almost £36 billion over the next three years, with money from the levy going directly to health and social care across the whole of our United Kingdom. This won't be pay, for, uh, pay awards for middle management. It will go straight 
to the front line at a time when we need to get more out of our health and social care system than ever before. As a perm and, and, he, will and he goes on to say, do all this in a way that is right and reasonable and fair. Mr. Speaker, some will ask why we don't increase income tax or capital gains tax instead. But income tax isn't paid by businesses, so the whole burden would fall on individuals, roughly doubling the amount that the basic taxpayer could expect to pay. And the total revenue, Mr. Speaker, from capital gains tax amounts to less than £9 billion this year. Instead, our new levy will share the cost between individuals and businesses, and everyone will contribute according to their means, including those above state patient pension age. So those who earn more, those who earn more will pay more. And because we're also increasing dividends tax rate, we will be asking better off business owners and investors to make a fair contribution too. In fact, the highest earning 14% will pay around half the revenues. No one earning less than £9,568 will pay a penny. And the majority of small businesses will be protected, with 40% of all businesses paying nothing at all. As a so there's, there's a lot of detail in that, which is quite refreshing. Um, from them, what what your what are your thoughts on that, Simon? Is that is it is it fair? Is it equal? Is it? Let, let, let's break it down. Firstly, I'm going to give Bo Boris credit for actually grasping a nettle. I'm not sure he's dealt with this successfully, but at least he's grasping it. So Cameron kicked this into the long grass. May got it wrong. Uh, Blade, Blair didn't let Andy Burnham sort it out, etc., etc. So we could criticise all three of the main parties for not really doing anything in this area. At least Boris has got the conversation going and at least we've got some money uh, coming in. So far, that, that's the first point. Second point is, and, the, uh, you know, if I was looking at him, if he was a cabinet member and I was still, still at Jared Scrutiny, I'd say, OK, you've got some brilliant proposals to get the money in. Where are you actually going to spend it, Boris? What are you actually going to do? And the lack of detail there, I have to say, personally, I think, is shocking. It really worries me. I know that we're going to spend the money for the first three years on the NHS. That worries me because the NHS traditionally has been a black hole that can just suck money in. There's always more we can be doing on the uh, for the NHS. There's always more ways of spending the money there. And then after that, what goes on in social care? Now, a Conservative might say, oh, I've got three years to sort that out. If we want to improve public confidence in our politicians, um, we need to be treated like adults. We need to be told where that money is going and what is going on with that. So I want to see a plan for social care. And at the moment, I don't see much of a plan. I can see how to raise the money. I don't see how the money is actually going to be spent, though. And that concerns me. Next, we get to the final point about fairness. And mm. no, I'm not convinced there. If you look into the details of national insurance, there's some anomalies. So, you know, we get over that 9,600 and I'll pay 12%. And you guys can pay 12% as well. But my wife will only pay 6% because she's married. So there's a, a, a discrepancy there. And one of the things, if we're seriously saying, you know, we're borrowing a lot of money, 385 billion down to 312 billion, 
million or whatever it was Rishi was saying over the last year because of COVID. If we really are that tight for money, we need to close the loopholes and, and achieve what an economist will call horizontal equity. Everybody at the same level being treated the same. So just because you happen to be married to somebody shouldn't mean you start off by paying half the tax rate. That's an argument we can have there. There isn't the horizontal, horizontal um, uh, equity going on. He has closed another loophole. So it's my understanding national insurance in the past, if you were above 66, you wouldn't pay any at all. Now, my understanding, I've just um, been informed by somebody today, is that if you look at the details, you are, if you have income and you're over 66, you are going to pay some national insurance. So the well, government's you... getting bits of it right, but it's not getting all of it. Yeah, that that piece on those over sixty six. So, and and again, it's a small detail, but they mm -hmm. get next year off um, because national it it will be a one point two five percent levy on national insurance. Um, so, as you say, anybody over sixty six doesn't pay national insurance. When we get to April two thousand and twenty three, it then becomes a standalone levy. Mm -hmm. So everybody who earns over nine and a half thousand pound, irrespective of the source of that income, will have to be putting their uh, putting their 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 share in as well. Mm -hmm. So again, I look at that, and the economist in me goes, "Well, if you want to transfer, if you want to make things fairer, the richest in society should pay." Now, we've got figures there saying, yes, the richest in society should pay, but I think they could still pay more. And so if I was Chancellor of the Exchequer or the advisor, I'd be more transformative and radical in my approach. I'd say that 9,600 uh, band, I make it 12,500, so it's the same as um, income tax, easier for people to understand. And then at the top, right, so I wouldn't go down from 12% to 2%. I go up instead, and those with the broader shoulders, I would be asking them uh, to pay more. Now you'll say, well, what exactly are the percentages? Uh, economists love to talk a thing about a thing mm. called a Laffer curve. And the Laffer curve is simply, as you put up the rate of tax, are you getting more income, uh, revenue in, or are you getting less revenue in? And students say, give me an example of where you get less revenue in. And I go back to the Labour governments of the late 1970s and a marginal tax rate of 87.5% as not being the wisest policy in the world and maybe not maximising revenue. And so people will say to me, well, Simon, what percentage you would have? I'd actually say, can we open up the government finances, look at the books, get the estimates from the Treasury and actually look at what might raise the most uh, revenue? But I think the government's got an opportunity there to be more proportionate and say, OK, raise that tax threshold like you did for income tax. Incredibly popular policy under the coalition to raise it up to 12,500 and then carried on by the Conservatives in a, a majority government. Raise that with national um, insurance as well. Another thing we could do, and I spoke to somebody from HMRC today and they said, OK, we want to be as efficient as possible. What's actually in terms of cost brings the most revenue in is it one tax system or is it two tax systems one tax system has lower costs so if national insurance is a indirect tax there's a very clear argument not for doing what the conservatives are saying and setting up a separate tax but rolling the whole thing into just one income tax and saying there it is with standard rates in a transparent system that is more cost effective and much easier for people to understand 
that would be there's strong economic arguments for doing that just on making your system more effective in bringing the money in i guess the the key question there though simon isn't it and it, it, it was i looked at some of the research that said and interesting that the lib dem policy says you know put one percent on the basic rate but mm. I, I saw some research that said you know if they were to try and raise the same levels of revenue mm-hmm. that that this um that putting the, the money on ni would do they'd mm-hmm. have to have raised the income tax rate by more than two percent yeah um and i guess it, it is we know that businesses and we, we see so much talk about, you know, the likes of Starbucks and mm-hmm. Amazon and McDonald's never ending up paying any tax. Is by leveraging national insurance, is is this a way to ensure that business, large businesses particularly pay their fair share? Uh, it is, but there's other options available. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about is capital gains tax, because they've said, OK, we can have that extra 1.25% um are for dividends and checking the detail that looks like it could provide to shares as well but again i've got a problem here right at the beginning and you mentioned twelve thousand five hundred um for income tax free 20 percent up to 50k 40 percent up to 150 and so on and forth so forth i look at capital gains tax if you're a top rate taxpayer and it's 28 percent if you're on residential property and 20 percent on other assets now, I want to know, for the, um, the middle classes who are just earning over £50,000 um, £50, a year, why they're paying 40% on that 50000 And then, you know, you've got these large landlords with their uh, rent coming in on residential properties. They're only paying 20, 28% and 20% on other assets. So, again, in terms of horizontal equity, if we wanted to simplify the tax system, there's a strong argument there for putting up capital uh, gains tax, uh, anything up to 40 or 45%. Again, we've got to look at the Laffer curve and see what revenue comes in. But why should somebody who has the ability with property be paying less tax when they've got so much more assets? Then somebody uh, working a uh, middle class professional going, mm, my bill's going up quite a bit here. I'm paying 40% plus you know, my national insurance at 12% and then 2% plus the extra 1.25. You're only paying 28% on residential property, 20% on other assets. That seems to me an area we could have a real look at in terms of fairness again and horizontal. So just so that, uh, you know, for, because they, these these areas are complex. So mm-hmm. so in terms of so if I was fortunate enough to be a, a landlord, does that does that um, tax apply to all of my income or just to my profit? So um, if I've if I've got a if I've got a, a property that I'm paying 800 pounds a month on a mortgage and mm-hmm. I'm I'm leasing it out a thousand pound a month. Am I paying 28% on the £1,000 or my £200 profit? Uh, no, I'm just talking about the amount you, when you sell that property, the amount of capital gains. So if you bought right. that property for £200,000 and sold it for £300,000, that profit of £100,000, you'd only be pay, paying 28% on. Um, and so it, it's uh, capital gains. It's the Perfect. gains that you've made on the capital as opposed to the corporation tax or uh, stuff you pay as a director um, on um, the small business that you're running from renting out your properties. So I'm talking about gains on capital. Yep. 
And that's important there because there's a general point, and we're coming to, we'll slip into a moment what the Labour Party wants to do. As a general rule, I mean, if we go back to economic principles, I like to think we quite like jobs and we quite like economic growth. Therefore, what are we doing? And this is where I'd criticise the Lib Dems as well. What are we doing with national insurance or income tax, whichever one it is? Why are we taxing jobs more if we like jobs and economic growth so much? Why don't we start looking at the things either that don't necessarily contribute to the economy and capital gains is just the gain on the asset. It doesn't actually create anything new. And then there's also things that we don't like, for example, like pollution. Maybe we ought to start looking at taxation there. So the question the parties have got at the moment, I think they're approaching it wrongly. Labour are probably the closest at the moment, but they could still go further. And indeed, I went and had a look at the Green Manifesto to see if there was anything interesting there. And all I could find was social care is going to be free and no detail at all of how it's going to be paid. So... Um, I mean, that's an interesting thing. You, obviously, you're, you're pointing out about capital gains tax, but uh, yeah. have, um, have parties kind of mentioned anything to do with property taxes? So, you know, if you're if you're not and that, you know, capital gains only comes about if you're if you're selling those assets. But what about, mm-hmm. you know, what about people that, you know, have have second homes or indeed, you know, landlords that have mul- multiple properties that aren't selling them, mm-hmm. it, you know, would because. Um, Large companies can squirrel away their um, their profits by offshoring some of those some of those parts of their uh, of their organisation, for ex- for example. But you can't squirrel a house offshore because you can't move it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if someone's in a situation where they've you know where they've got a multi you know multiple very very expensive properties, but their actually their tax contributions very very low because they've put the money mm-hmm. into those assets, they're not selling them. What what are your thoughts about anything that would kind of address that? I mean, this is where I think Labour are getting close with a wealth tax, and we've seen pressure groups on the fringe of parties like the Lib Dems uh, talk about a land tax, mm-hmm. um, which has its um, uh, benefits. Um, again, I'd like to see more details of that um, and how it might um, uh, actually work. In terms of the day-to-day business, we ought to talk about corporation tax. Um, and one of the great things, um, credit where credit's due, the Conservatives have changed corporation tax from a flat rate tax to a progressive tax now. And the more that you actually um, corporations earn, the greater that they're uh, going to uh, pay. And there's a threshold for uh, firms earning less than 250000 in profit uh, where they're not necessarily going to um, uh, pay um, uh, pay anything. I'll have to go and check what the exact figure is. But there's, again, a set of bans that works very much like the same, same as income tax. Um, and that's good. Um, that is something that we um, really re- uh, needed. Um, again, round the edges of that, the Chancellor's announced what's called a super indu- uh, deduction for investment over the next um, two years, where you can get 30% back off your tax for investing. And again, as an economist, I'm not quite convinced he's got that right, because there was a load of pent-up investments that's been held there because of COVID, now the economy is bouncing back. A load of that investment's occurring anyway, and we're giving people thirty percent off. So it's a nice idea what the chancellor's got, but I worry he's gone too far. The super deduction should have only been ten percent, fifteen percent. He's given away too much money over the, um, the next two years for that. And again, if we look at the big fiscal position, that's something um, uh, that could um, uh, contribute uh, to helping the government finances. Okay, so. Would you would you 
would you kind of say it seems like your th- your thoughts on this are actually much more fundamental reviews of the, of the taxation system and a much more yeah. robust kind of reinvention, if it were, of of actually how we address that. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I'll be clear. We're in, and a, 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 a people go. How did you manage to link that one to the other? But you've got a golden opportunity here. If we just go back to basic principles, we're in a climate emergency. We like jobs. We don't like pollution. And therefore, we need a review where we ought to say we ought to tax pollution a lot more than we're taxing jobs at the moment. And I'm talking really taxing pollution. I'm going to make no friends with anybody who works on an oil rig off Aberdeen or the Shetland Islands by saying this. And in the Shetland Islands, are like, oh, he's on the side of the wind farms, definitely, um, versus uh, the new gas and oil. Yes, I am. I make no apology for that. We're in a climate emergency. If you're going to do that, you need to be responsible. One of the things politicians like to do is come up with these new ideas. The business said, oh, well, that's nice. You didn't really give us any lead into that. So I think we could have a review of the tax system. We could have a lot more taxes, uh, green taxes. But also, to be fair to them, we then need to give businesses three to five years notice to employers of what is coming and then raise the money. You deal with the climate emergency and you um, uh, help fund plug the gap for, uh, for health and social care. I want to put some numbers on this because I don't think we put any numbers on this. Um, the government sort of talked about saying, oh, we need, um, you know, we'll raise um, uh, 12 billion um, over the next um, uh, three years. Um, looking at what people like the King's Fund say, it looks like we need about 14.4 billion to sort out social care each year. And with COVID going on, we probably need another 20 billion a year to help the NHS. So the ballpark figure, and it's a lot of money, folks, we're talking about 35 billion a year. And that in terms of the tax base, it's going to have to come from a lot of places. Um, Maybe it's a pollution tax, maybe it's a wealth tax, maybe it's increasing income tax, maybe it's increasing um, uh, national insurance as well. Um, But we ought to be clear, very big sums of money is what we're talking about. If you're going to fund it through taxation, there are other alternatives. So so let me play with my my very, very amateur economist head on Mm -hmm. here, which is that you know, th- this this policy is, is allegedly going to raise 12 billion a year, 36 mm-hmm. billion over three years. If mm-hmm. we take those figures of needing 34 billion a year, mm-hmm. then surely one of the challenges of direct taxation, particularly when you target, or not necessarily you target, but if some of the, if a significant proportion of that falls on those earning under 50k aren't those the people for whom through sheer necessity of not having dustbins of money tucked away aren't they the very people that would take that money spend it to put money back into the economy Mm -hmm. and if we you know, the famous, the man that thinks he can tax himself into wealth is the man who stands in a bucket and attempts to lift it by the handle. Mm -hmm. Are we not, is this not, even this move, which is, to to use your own figures, is probably only going to raise a third of what's needed. Uh, Is there not a risk that we're going to damage, I think the word is the liquidity of the system, by stopping those people who we really need to spend by, by targeting them absolutely and so uh, as economists we like to talk about what's called the marginal propensity to consume so if ian if i gave you another 10 pounds 
how much of that money would you save? How much of that money would you actually spend on consumption in the United Kingdom? And how much of it would you spend on import, which just goes out yep. of the country and doesn't do us um, any good? And if you're looking at taxes and where you're going to tax people, generally poor people, poorer people, consume more as a percentage of their income for richer people because they're meeting those necessities and then they're going over, um, uh, they, are, uh, they are saving less. Whereas if you've got a million pounds, um, you are going to save substantially more of your income than somebody who's only on 20,000 uh, pounds. So in terms of taxation, then you might look at saying, okay, a progressive tax system that's going to tax the rich more Again, got to come back to that Laffer curve. There's no point me sitting here going, oh, yeah, I'm just going to whack up, you know, um, um, I'm going to whack up capital gains tax to 45% if it doesn't actually bring the money in. The policy actually has to be real based on real figures. That's Mm. what the Laffer curves um, are about. But as a general rule, those with the biggest shoulders, they're going to be saving more. And therefore, one, they can afford it. But two, it's going to um, hurt aggregate demand and consumption less because poorer people spend more of their income generally than saving. So, and that's, I mean, you talk, you talk about the, the, Laffer, the Laffer curve and you say, mm-hmm. of, I guess the HM, HMRC will have data on what the kind of the sweet yeah. spots are for the different, for the different rates mm-hmm. as to at what point do you ch- do you start changing it by X that it's enough that people mm-hmm. avoid the tax entirely and therefore don't and therefore your re- you know your revenue yeah. goes down rather than up even mm-hmm. though you've increased increased the tax rate I guess so there's there's kind of lots of there's lots of variables there so is yeah. is, is this kind of would you say this is kind of a wasted opportunity is more, more kind of like flapping around at the periphery rather than actually doing something wholesale? Well, no, I think the Conservative Party are cleverer than that, because if you look at what the Conservative Party have done in the past, they are very good at flying a kite and figuring out, oh, is that popular? Is that unpopular? Now, the advantage of what Boris is doing at the moment is he can say, right, I throw a load of money at health, which you definitely need in a COVID crisis. And then in three years time, I'm going to put money in. He's got, over the next year or two, the opportunity to go, "Mm, how's that kite flying? Has it gone down well? Has it gone down badly? What are other people suggesting? What are the opposition suggesting? I don't think in three years' time we're going to be here with this system. I think the Conservatives, who, um, and going back to my politics teaching now, pragmatism is a major part of the Conservative ideology. They will look practically what they can do, what they can get away with, what's politically popular. And I think the system will have changed uh, changed by then. Uh, certainly, if you read the front page of the Sunday Telegraph, uh, always good to know what's going on in the Conservative Party from that newspaper. And there's absolute uproar on the Conservative backbenches. So I think the policy will change over time. And in three years, we'll be talking about something different. Now that's that's very interesting, Simon. Because uh, uh, full disclosure, the polar, the the uh, we we've got a blue and yellow logo, and mm-hmm. uh, and and I sit in the blue team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'm not convinced about that because my my I, I have a very low opinion of Boris as mm-hmm. a leader, and and I genuinely think this is a this is the hangover moment where he and Rishi have opened the credit card bill. Mm-hmm. gulped and thought well what can we get away with short term and the whole tone of 
well, we've all got to chip in to save our beloved NHS. You know, it's on it. You know, COVID's brought it to, to its knees. You mm-hmm. know, we we got to find a way of funding this. And, you know, this is the, this is the populist approach. Because I think it was interesting, the shadow secretary and uh, the Jonathan, can't remember his name. But when he was... Ashworth, when he was on Sky on the 3rd of September, you know, he he uttered that dilemma, which is, I'm not going to vote against more money for social care, but I want it to be fair. Mm. So I, I think this this is one of those classic Borisisms of, you know, you, you, you keep saying about underfunding the NHS. Well, here's me. Mr. I love the NHS putting 12 billion pounds a year in. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that this is anything more than a, than a, the most popular way that he could find to break the manifesto pledge and further throw fiscal conservatism into the dustbin. I mean, certainly I'd agree. Boris loves being popular. Um, that's one of the major things that um, uh, drives him. Um, and it's an interesting analysis uh, you've got there, uh, Ian. One of the things I was looking at my notes is going, well, where do you go if you're a fiscal conservative now? I mean, if you're the likes of John Redwood, who would say, I want the taxes to be as low as possible to encourage as much economic growth as possible, so you're better off because you're getting more revenue in them rather than raising taxes. Where do you go if you're John Redwood? What do you do? Um, well, and the only thing I, I, I came up with, um, and it'll be interesting to see where it, or when it happens, I could see Nigel Farage in the next couple of months per, ahead of raising above the parapet and going, yeah, come over here to reform. We're going to be the low tax party now. You can't trust the Conservatives. They've broken their promises. If you are right wing and want to vote for something that's fiscally conservative, come over to the reform party. And it'll be interesting to see if Nigel... Um, tries to exploit that right-wing flank. Don't know whether it'd be successful, don't know whether he'd do that, but that's an area I think we um, ought to be watching. I, I think that's a fascinating analogy, but, but I actually think, I think as a fiscal conservative, mm-hmm. I, I am, I'm in the same boat as the Corbynistas. Oh, go on. Well, which is that I don't have the, it's not the conservative party that I wanted, Mm-hmm. So where do where do I go? But where, as you point out very rightly, where do mm-hmm. I go next? Mm-hmm. And in the same style of of the hard left momentum wing of the Labour Party, mm-hmm. you know, there I don't want Keir Starmer, and I don't want, you know, I don't want light, you know, I don't want a, a red Tory. I don't want to, I don't want Blair Light or Blair Mark Two. And many of those hardcore left supporters are just sat on the side, folding their arms mm-hmm. and saying, well, if we can't have the, the Labour Party we want, then we'll just let the Conservatives have it. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think, you know, I think this is going to take us. I don't think this is going to take us anywhere other than because I, I think the energy of getting a new political entity off the ground, be that momentum or reform. Mm-hmm can't see it happening no i i I'd agree first past the post massively discriminates against um you know setting up um, a new party there and we can look at the history of um the stp there there are alternatives available economically i think we ought to explore though because we don't have to just raise taxes we could start shaking the magic money tree and we can talk about public borrowing there and the other alternative we've got is that we actually and it's ironic it's called national insurance 
why don't we actually have an insurance scheme for social care that we force everyone to pay into, but isn't part of the main government finances and funds the thing and lets you, you know, um, lets uh, the market take care of that, but make sure you get the economies of scale by saying, look, you're all going to pay into an insurance scheme. It's not going to be part of central taxation, and that's going to pay for social care instead. So other options are available. I just heard a load of people falling over in shock. <laughs> Um, did, he, did he suggest selling our beloved NHS? So, no, no, I was talking I, about social care there. Yeah, no, the I NHS, know. So I know, I'd, I'd I know. I'd be very careful yes. indeed. Very yeah, no, careful. That, no, that, I'm saying you have an insurance kit scheme and you do that from a market-based point of view. And if you think about that and get it right, it actually protects your NHS and say, there's your hypothetically money out of general um, taxation. That's spent on the NHS. The social care problem, we've dealt with that through insurance. It's completely separate. Job done. And that takes means you, when you're coming to debate public finance, you can really concentrate on the NHS. So devil's advocate, I'm playing that. Uh, I'm playing there. And I'm saying, yeah, throw an insurance um, uh, policy instead. Actually have a national insurance policy that's not a direct tax, but actually a form of insurance that meets this need. Okay, if we're going to start suggesting wild, wild, um, wild ideas, then yeah, has anyone ever thought of the idea or suggested re, with a sensible head on? So that rules me out. Um, the idea of voluntary additional hypothecated taxation. So, and by which I mean, you get to, if you wanted to pay an extra X percent of your of your income to a particular. Um, part of uh, national spending. So say, for example, I want to dedicate an additional 1% of my wages on, um, of my taxation on education. I want to dedicate a, a further 1% on the NHS. That would mean that rather than that being a mandated tax, I mean, not everybody would actually opt out, of, you know, would, would choose not to use that. They're, they're, maybe mm -hmm. I'm just being too naive. Would there actually be people that would say, OK, I'm willing to pay more? Well, I'm going to jump in and you've got that already to an extent, Simon, in that you can pay extra into your national insurance and you can top up your pension pot and you can put more money aside there. Um, so I know that as somebody who's self-employed, I regularly get letters from the government going, are you going to top that up? And I regularly reply back, I actually have a full-time job as well. The answer is no. But the ability is there. In terms of wider taxation, I absolutely love the idea, but I worry about the negatives. And the negatives will be, well, if I'm allowed to say, okay, these are the things I positively want to spend. I can instantly see the likes of CND leaping up and saying, that's fantastic. None of us actually want to pay towards those nuclear, um, uh, nuclear arms anymore now, please. And if we've got that level of democracy, we want our money spent on, the, uh, spent on this. So that's, that's my concern. Yeah, that, that's why I was very careful to specify mm. additional. Because, additional, yeah. yeah. For okay, precisely the, precisely uh, that reason, because otherwise you will get people saying, well... Um, I don't drive a car, so why yeah. should, why should mm -hmm. my tax contributions go towards um, upkeeping roads? Yeah. Um, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But um, oh, I'm being disturbed by a cat. Mm -hmm. um, but, 
Uh, yeah, and, and there as economists, we talk about what's called a public good, which applies to everybody. So when it comes to national defence, you cannot just say, I'm going to defend Portsmouth, but not Hailing Island. It doesn't work oh, that way. Can you not? It's an all or nothing thing. Oh, I okay? don't think we should throw that idea out straight away. <laughs> What into? <laughs> no, I'm pointing out it's impossible with. All oh, right, public okay, good. sorry, yeah. no, yeah. okay, yeah. It's impossible hailing stays. You're going to defend the lot, or you're not. National yeah. defence does yep. not stop at any particular boundary. And people who say, "Oh well, I don't want to be part of national defence," I'm sorry, some pragmatism has to come in. We've got a government, whether you're not in, you like the electoral system, it's there, it's elected, it's doing this. They've said we're going to have this form of defence. End of. You can't carve it up. No, you, I can't say I don't want to pay for this bit of the aircraft carrier because, yeah. you know, it will sink. But um, in terms of pressure groups, it's something I'll go away and research, actually, or more likely I'll get an A-level student who's been late for a number of lessons to go away and research. So you use it as a form of punishment? Sorry? Absolutely. I mean, I could do the work, but it's far more efficient to get them to do it because they're the ones going to be doing the exams, so they need the practice. Okay. And I'm busy as well, and it's their fault for being late. So I'll find a student who's, um, you know, been consistently late or hasn't handed in their homework and say, you know, Simon came up with this lovely idea of, you know, positive taxation. Has there been anything there? I'll be honest, Simon, because I always should be honest when it's, uh, as a teacher, when you don't know something, say, I don't know, I haven't heard of the idea, but let's go away and research it, have a look about it. And I can feel myself talking into coming back in about a year's time and say, oh, we found out this, by the way, this was going going on. And you'll be like, that's brilliant research. And I'll be just like, no, it was this student here. But um, yeah, we ought to look at that. I think that's a fabulous idea because people, I believe the British public, when they care about things, they would put extra money in. If you said you can pay extra taxation and it will go um, uh, extra form of tax or donation and that will go to this hospital here, this local school here, or just generally on the environment or sorting out the potholes in the roads, or maybe the eternal question of how we sort out congestion out of three roads out of Portsmouth. I'm not sure it can be done, but... Let's have a look at it anyway. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think the British public will go for that, and it will raise more revenue. And I think that's a that's a fascinating area to to look at, and um, because it's one that we've kicked about before. You know, we've talked about the the, the climate crisis mm-hmm. and the fact that Portsmouth is an island and has too many cars on it, mm-hmm. um, uh, and it, it, it is the tension is often that everyone agrees that there should be fewer cars. And frankly, Simon, you should be giving your second car up. But, I, you know, because you probably don't really need yours, but I, I need both of mine. I don't drive. Yeah, I know you don't. But, but fair, to be fair, I've got Millsy, my guide dog, sat next to me. So yeah, and it, it's I, a, hy- it's a be, hypothetical situation. I'd be horrified yeah, if you were yeah, driving. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't got opposable thumbs. He'd be hopeless. Um, so there is that dilemma, isn't there, that, mm. you know, with these really big issues... And I guess this brings us back to that, which is everyone agrees on the problem. Mm-hmm. But when you start getting into the details of trying to solve the big issues, somebody's got to feel some pain. Yeah. And the majority of people would rather it was somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there we can look at... I mean, I've mentioned horizontal equity, treating everybody equally. There's also economists talk about the idea of vertical vertical equity, and that's treating people down the whole of society uh, in um, a similar way and a way that is uh, fair as well. And then we can get into all sorts of lovely debates about equality and equality of opportunity. 
which, I mean, looking at the three main parties, I think all three parties believe in inequality of opportunity. And then we start arguing about what the level of um, equality of opportunity is. And that's where we get into the details and start arguing, as Ian rightly says, uh, we'd like all this to happen and we'd like those other people to pay for it who are not to us. But that's, but it, yeah, that's the, that's the fundamental issue of why the thought nettle hasn't been grasped, does it? We know there's mm. a problem. We know, we know it's, it's this massive elephant in the room, isn't it? We know yeah. there's, it, it, to be fair, the, in many ways, climate change, Ian, as you've used as an, as an example, is, a, is another instance of that. We know it's there. We know that actually the big and bold changes that are necessary are going to be unpopular and going to be painful. Mm-hmm. And you can mitigate some of that. But actually, because it's so unpopular and painful, no one does the thing that they need to do. And that's why successive governments for decades haven't done enough about climate change, haven't done enough about mm. funding social care because it's too politically unpopular. Yeah. And if we just go back to my old chum, Theresa May, with her, if you've got the assets, you pay for your own care. I kind of looked at that as a fiscal conservative and I thought, how very socialist. But I don't know that I can argue against it. I've got the means to pay for my own care. But the argument is that I should somebody else should pay the bill so I can give my assets to my children and they can have the unearned benefit of my labour. I, I, I never quite understood why that policy was as toxically unpopular as it was other than there is a generation, I guess, who are not able to get on the housing ladder, who are guiltily looking at their parents and checking their watch. Wow. Um, but it, do you not think it's a... I, but I, 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 I mean, personally, I think that's a... I mean, it's not a perfect solution, but it's a better idea to me than someone who's on minimum wage, who works in adult social care, paying more of an increase in taxation than the landlord they rent off of. And we should we should know we're not being utterly irresponsible. If we were being utterly irresponsible, we'd just say, ah, just borrow some more money. It's fine. Interest rates are low and let the next generation take care of it. That, I think, it would be the most irresponsible of all things to do at the moment, particularly when you look at the public sector finances, where I put them up in lessons. And the number of times I've said over the last 12 months, we need a bigger graph for this course. It just kept coming up again and again and again. Didn't matter what area of economics we were looking at. We need a bigger graph is uh, what economics students get at the moment. So while while we plagiarise quotes from Jaws, you're going to need a bigger, Mm -hmm. you're going to need a bigger graph. Bigger graph. (laughs) Bigger graph. Going to need a much bigger graph, folks, whatever we do. Well, you've certainly got us thinking, and from the comments that I've that I've seen on the on the live stream, you've certainly got our audience thinking. Mm-hmm. So, um, if they were if they were coming on today thinking that we were going to provide answers, I think they were they were they were sorely <laughs> sorely mistaken. But that's the point: is that actually it's such a complex issue that yeah. that that's why no one's answered. Because if it was easy to answer, someone would have done it already. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So on that bombshell, you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny-Morris. And our guest has been... Simon Foster. And I've been Simon Sandsbury. And please do tune in next week for our... um, We've got a cabinet member for um, housing, Darren Sanders, along. And we've invited another guest that we hope to be able to confirm shortly um, as we look at the housing of 
desperate people fleeing for their lives from Afghanistan and how Portsmouth City Council are helping to make sure they're safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa. Play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>